If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So you think you're good at PUBG Mobile? Guys on the right, so he sees them. You think you're good at PUBG Mobile? Oh, they're going to go. Same time. Great teamwork there from the Bushka. You think you're good at PUBG Mobile? Sure. I I bet. Whatever you say. Drop in. Drop in. Drop in. The Chipotle Challenger Series. Let's see what you've got. Let's see what you got. Let's see what you've got. Well, hi there, everybody. Welcome to Slightly Something Else. My name is Jack Packard. And I'm Yardsy Crowshaw. If you were watching the premiere of Adventurous Night this morning on YouTube, I can only hope you're not sick of hearing from us yet. (laughs) Once again, you find Yahtzee and myself in boxes talking about games. (laughs) Blimey. Always in these boxes. When will we ever escape from these boxes? Never, 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 never. We're in boxes within boxes because we have boxes and then the YouTube window is its own box. Yes, I have a Black Mesa box prominently behind me. Uh Uh-oh. Ooh, that's a lovely box. They never sold the game in a box. They just the developers just sent me this. I think that's great. This is what what the the box they would have sold it in had they ever sold it in a box. <laughs> yeah, I think it's gorgeous. That's a gorgeous. Oh look, it even has like the yes. little the little screenshots on the back. Oh, that's so classic. Yeah, thanks, Black Mesa devs. Is, anyway, 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 is Jack low or muffled a bit for anyone else? I thought I had figured out my audio, but I guess we're we're going to find out. Well, anyway, let's let's assume audio is fine and press on Boulder's Brass because yes. this week's topic in slightly something else is related to something you brought up in our private correspondence that I have to admit did intrigue me. Okay. When you pointed out that when we talk about emotional games, Games that play on the emotions. Mm -hmm. The ones that are usually presented as the epitomes of such things only ever deal with one emotion, that being sadness and grief. Absolutely. Absolutely. This came up uh, over the weekend. I was chatting with some people who aren't necessarily video game people. And, you know, I was I had to take the position of defending video games as art in general. I mean, it was it was it was a lovely conversation. It was. And, you know, we were all, you know, happily debating art and whatnot. And and I, I went to the standard, these are the games that are really art. Your Shadow of Colossus, your Dark Souls, your uh, your Spiritfarer, as anyone who just watched the Spiritfarer documentary knows, is, is a lovely game dealing with emotions. All of these games, though, deal with sadness, sorrow, <laughs> and, grief. and grief, right? Well, the easy explanation for that is that uh, when we seek out emotional catharsis, we seek the emotions that give us the strongest response, mm. the strongest physical response. That's those are the ones we find most satisfying. So that will usually mean something funny that makes us laugh. 
mm-hmm. something scary that makes us jump or something sad that makes us cry. We seek out these strong physical emotional responses to explore the uh, the uh, human space, I suppose, the human yeah. emotional world. Ab- absolutely. But I and and I, I feel like this is the it's the same in a lot of mediums, which is like media. Media is plural of medium. Whoa, really? Yeah. Oh, well then. Look up your Latin, asshole. <laughs> that was uncalled for. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, then it's similar across all media, which is generally speaking the art house picture, uh, the art house pictures, the art house books, the art house, everything usually deal with sadness. There's very few exploration of joy or anger or really any other strong emotion. It's it's most, 99% of it is all sadness. Well, there are games that make you angry. There are games that make you frustrated. <laughs> I don't know if that's the same thing. I'm I, What I'm looking for here is an exploration of an emotion. That's that's like my that's that's my big my big ask here is are there video games that explore an emotional state like Dark Souls explores uh, grief? Well, let's think about this. Mm. Um, you mentioned Spirit Fairer. Everyone watch the documentary. It's good, it's and I mentioned good. it. And the devs said say they like my review, and I was chuffed. <laughs> Spiritfarer, of course, uh, centralizes the concept of grief. I'd hesitate to call it a sad game, though. I think there's a there's a joyous quality to it. Hmm. There's a well, maybe not so much joyous as comfortable. It's about ex- exploring grief from a comfortable position. So there's a lot of happiness to it. There's a lot of joy in the game. There's a lot hmm. of um, uh, uh, what's the right words. It's a very social game mm. where you experience the joy of hanging out with other people and getting to know them. And then, of course, yes, you feel sad because they die, but you feel that sad in juxtaposition to the rest of the experience. It wouldn't work if they didn't spend a whole, like most of that game, getting to know these characters before you bump them off. Ooh, okay. I like that. It's, sadness in, in that game is just uh, half the experience. Mm-hmm. It's the payoff of the experience. <laughs> so I would argue Spirit Fever explores a spectrum. Ooh, all right. I and I like I like that. I, I think it, it weighs it weighs a little more towards the end of of grief just because that's also kind of the central plot point of Spirit Fair. Well, quite, you know, like, and but, uh, but I do, I like, I accept that it is about the full spectrum. Like, it's it's really about the grieving process, which is, you know, celebrating the life and the times that you had, but also letting go that whole thing, which is a big mixed bag of emotions. Agreed. Um, a couple of tales you mentioned uh, on there. Someone's asking if there's a game about guilt. Mm. I think Silent Hill Two would be a classic example. Ooh, there's, I like uh, there's that. a big, there's a big uh, like presence of sadness and grief in that game, but I'd say the tentpole emotion in that game is guilt. And I, I know very little about Silent Hill Two as I have not played it, but I, I know listening to you talk about it, that's uh, from what I remember you saying is that's one of the reasons why the, the scary, the sexy nurses were so intriguing in that game is because it has to do with guilt of your wife, ex-wife. 
It's a well. The sexiness is an expression of sexual frustration because mm-hmm. the main character in that game is dealing with like the loss of his wife, who was ill for a while, and because she was ill, he couldn't get his ugly little rocks off. <laughs> sure. And and obviously, he feels massive guilt for having felt sexually frustrated, as you would. Yes. So I suppose, well, I suppose thinking about it, at its heart, it's a game about grief and the guilt and the sexual frustration and the sadness is all like coming off of that, like a yeah. like tree branches, thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, what else? Emotional games. Well, uh, well and- one big one that came to my mind was Undertale, of course. Ooh, okay. I, I'm trying to... You know what? Like, It's been long enough since I've played Undertale that I can't... I can't anchor myself to the emotional core of it. Undertale explores a range of emotions. Mm-hmm. I think um, friendship is a big part of it. Okay. And um, I think at the very end, it's a game about redemption. Hmm. Uh, at the end of the good ending, at any rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always liked, I was well up a bit at the bit in the good ending where you sort of, like restore the humanity of the big villain <laughs> sure sure and if you like once you get into their story that there's a lot of sadness there but it's but it's sort of like that moment is sort of a relief from sadness mm-hmm. it's a joyous moment hmm. everyone feels better now well and that, like i guess like i i suppose in in thinking of my analogs in film is like you know films that explore joy there is that also mixed bags. Like, you know, one of my personal favorite schmaltziest movies of all time is Mr. Holland's Opus, which is, you know, all about, you know, kind of finding the joy in something that you didn't think you would find joy in. And there is a lot of sadness in there. There's a lot of frustration. And so a lot of, you know, Undertale has this mixed bag of of the spectrum of emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And ex- explores quite a few emotions, as I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the characters are sort of dealing with their own shit. <laughs> uh, it's all against the background of this sort of atmosphere of uh, uh, like anticipation, I suppose, mm. and hope. Hope. Yes, that's hope. That was uh, bouncing off of hope. That was something on on my list as far as games that explore hope, optimism, and joy, which is Wander Song. I don't think I've played that, mm, and I, I've only played a little bit of it. I haven't finished it, though. I very much want to after doing a little research into this and remembering how much fun I had playing it. It it's a game that uh, starts off very. Very basic as far as the hero's journey is concerned. You play as, you know, this singing bard who is going to use their ever-present optimism to save the world only to have your preconceived notions about what you need to do kind of change throughout the game. And so then it's an exploration of, like, what you as the hero really want to do and whether it's optimism or cynicism, pessimism that saves the day, uh, like what your character really wants and where that optimism comes from. So it's a very hopeful, joyous game throughout. Uh, and it does a really good job of exploring like kind of blind hope versus like inner hope, if that makes any sense. 
Hmm. Well, just as uh, Spiritfarer is about sadness, but has a lot of things to like mirror the sadness to sort of enhance the effect of the sadness, a lot of games that are about exploring one emotion also by design explore the opposite emotion because mm. the two can't exist without each other i suppose mm-hmm. you can only really feel like the weight and impact of a hopeful experience if there's a strong presence of despair as well mm-hmm. sure sure hmm. people keep bringing up god of war as a game that expresses ang- that explores anger which is a central theme of the game. It's how it, everything kicks off in that game. Yeah. The first God of War, I mean, not the PS4 one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's the the question. I my my question would be whether whether God of War explores anger or if it just is angry. I think if you take God of War by itself and ignore all of its sequels, yeah. God of War, I think, is a pretty neatly tied up arc about someone dealing with anger. Okay, explain yourself. Because, well, Kratos starts off as a very, very angry man. Yeah. And he get, just gets so angry one day that he kills his own family, spoiler alert. <laughs> and then, like, that makes him even angrier, and he goes after the person who... Um, uh, made him do that, mm-hmm. Ares, and uses like like uh, expl- and, uh, But throughout the course of the game, he sort of gains a sort of awareness of uh, the anger has sort of hollowed him out. That anger has turned him into a monster. And mm-hmm. once he has gotten his revenge, I mean, the dude literally tr- like attempts suicide at the end of the game because he's gotten his revenge, and there's literally nothing else for him in his existence. Okay, all right, I can be with you here. As I say, you really need to disregard every other God of War game <laughs> to explore this take on God of War. But yeah, Kratos has an arc. He's, he starts off angry, and in the end, he gives in to despair. Only for that despair, even that despair is ripped away from him when he's like, has the position of the God of War foisted upon him. It's very tragic, really, when you think about it. Hmm. No, I, I like I I'm completely down with this interpretation. I'm trying to think, you know, I know God of War 4, God of War PS4, Dad of Boy, if you will, if we oh, could yeah, if we boy. could separate the franchises. I know a lot of people, you know, turn to that as a as very good story-wise and I do think they they play well mechanically with a, a few things. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to go through it very quick in my head to see if that explores any sort of guilt or fatherly Love. Sorry, Jack. What, why are your fingernails painted? Uh, oh, uh, it's it's a very long story. <laughs> we had we had quite sorry, a. To, uh, I'm sorry to digress, but I suddenly wondered, and people watching are probably wondering as well. Uh, probably, and I was trying to keep them uh, kind of under camera here, but I do talk with my hands. Uh, the short version of the story is we had uh, quite a gathering over the weekend. Uh, part of the reason that I'm thinking about sorrow and joy and emotions in game. It was a funeral re- weekend for me. Uh, and so we had a bit of a wake here. There was fingernail paint. It was a whole big thing. And then my wife left out of town and took her nail polish remover with her. <laughs> so ah, so you're stuck with it. So I'm stuck with it for now. I'm I'm going to the store later to get some more. But I don't really leave the house. Uh, so, you know, it hasn't very bothered me. Uh, and yes, it it, it's a gorgeous shade, by the way. Just bright red. You were, you were transitioning your circus act from the clown to the half man, <laughs> half woman. 
Just per, you know, like uh, Victor Victoria. Absolutely. Yeah. I could yeah. use a wig. Uh, but <laughs> always, always room for one. Always room for a wig, and yeah, it's a great color. Really brings out my my veins. But anyway, <laughs> no, I, I I struggle to think of an emotional theme in God of War Four. Right. I struggle to think of an emotional theme in most AAA games because they're all just so broad. Right. Well, and it it kind of ends. God of War, Dad of Boy ends on the same note that it begins with, which is kind of Kratos's silent love for his kid, which he, I suppose, he always had, and nothing, nothing moved from beginning to end of Dad of Boy. You know, I suppose you could say it's about being emotionally unavailable. Right, but I feel like he's similarly emotionally unavailable at the end of the game. So. That right, doesn't right. really do anything. I guess like their relationship strengthens in that Atreus also gets very good at murdering people. So yeah. they they start to see eye to eye. They they bond over murder. Yeah, and so yeah. it's it's sins of the father, I guess. <laughs> but even then, even then, I don't think that's a good emotional core to be on. Hmm. Okay. Let's uh, think about some other emotions. So, right. Well, and uh, I I was thinking a little bit of games like I I don't know if it does a good job of exploring these themes, but there are games kind of like your Pokemon, your Stardew Valley, or your Animal Crossing that have big themes of relationships or friendship or love that sort of thing. Yeah, I think in virtually every JRPG you find, there's a theme of we are stronger because we are together and are friends. Exactly. Every JRPG ends with using the power of friendship to kill God. In fact, there's multiple ones I can think of that literally end with the same sequence where it does a sort of montage of all the characters you've met and it shows them sending prayers to you. So that so you can finally come bounce back in your moment of uh, adversity against the big boss. Exactly. I think, I think there's a sequence of that. Uh, that well, that happens in Earthbound. That happens in Paper Mario Two. Mm-hmm. It happens at the end of pretty much every Persona game. Mm-hmm. I think I'm prepared to say every JRPG I've gotten around to finishing has ended with something like that. But I'm also really okay with that because that that is like a very nice, wholesome, positive me- message that also usually contrasts with like, you know, oh, this ultimate evil is destroying the world for whatever reason, right? I suppose it makes sense for a game about exploring the world to sort of look back on the journey by having a little montage of characters. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I think that's very nice. I know that it's something I cite very often, but that was one of my favorite bits uh, from Horizon Zero Dawn is if you do all the side missions at the end yeah. fight with the big baddie, they all come and help you out because, ah, oh, teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, yes, yeah. I saw I saw a comment mentioning Hades. And I think Hades might be a game that expresses the emotion of frustration. Ooh, and I, I have than, not played Hades, so elaborate on that. Go ahead. Rather than just, you know, being a frustrating game. <laughs> Hades is a game where you play as the son of Hades, who's like, like uh, going through a teenage moody phase mm-hmm. and wants to like escape from Hades. And uh, it's a roguelite, so every time you die, you teleport back to the start of Hades. And 
it's a really well done story-wise because every time you go back to the center of Hades, you know, all the characters are there. Hades himself is there saying, saying well, you fucked that up, didn't you, stupid kid? <laughs> and it really it really captures the frustration of being a teenager and being like not, not feeling like you're reaching your full potential or that Ooh. you're allowed to come out from under your parents. Okay. I mean, Hades is the end boss. Right, right. And, uh, you you beat him, but that's not even the end of the story. It's like you beat him, you get to the surface world, something else happens that I won't spoil. Mm-hmm. You go, you end up back in Hades, and Hades is like, "Well, I hope we're pleased with ourselves." <laughs> and then you just do that, you do it again. <laughs> so I go through Hades, defeat Hades again, go back to the surface world again, back to the start of Hades again, yeah. and it's all everyone's just trapped in a cycle, I suppose. I, I I really love that. I think frustration is an emotion that does not get talked about a lot. And so that sounds like it's incorporating this gameplay mechanic, this roguelite mechanic that we all know into its storytelling, which that's that sounds brilliant. Hmm. I know it's on my list. I'm waiting for like a physical version to come to the Switch so I can play it on the Switch. All right. Test time to test my knowledge of gaming history and trivia. I want you to nominate an emotion, and I will think of a game that in some way explores it. Oh, fuck. Um, see, and this is where it gets really hard, because it's hard to think of like other emotions, right? But what, what I am looking for here is I'm looking for the inside-out of video games. I'm looking mm. for uh, a video game that explores joy. Joy. Joy, like happiness in general. What what happiness's role is, how it contrasts with the other emotions. Well, Spirit Fair is a good one, as I said. Uh, joyousness. Yes. Uh, there's a bit of that in... What about one of the Katamari games? Ooh... You ever played a Katamari game? I, I, I have my PlayStation 2 disc of Katamari Damacy right there on my shelf, including the Japan-only soundtrack, my friend. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, those are games are about just these, this joyous experience, this joyous carefree experience mm. of just rolling up the entire world as it screams and tells you to stop. interesting you can sort of you, you sort of experience joy from it mm-hmm. it's very joyous very colorful very upbeat yeah very happy music you could sort of argue that it explores like um hedonism even because uh, the whole plot of the first game is that the king of all cosmos got massively drunk and smashed up the whole cosmos uh-huh so you have to create new stars by rolling up random bullshit. Of course, of course. So the hedonism is a strong theme in the game. I suppose there there could be a, a, a tying in as far as like happiness and accepting the stuff around you as more than stuff. Well, in, hmm. I mean games that feel joyous to play i suppose but if you talk about games that explore the experience right i think we're gonna go back to a lot of games that are about exploring sadness because as i say there's a contrast yeah yeah yeah. donald nabity mentions flower 
Ooh, on sure. the chat. Mm -hmm. Flower is a good game that has this very sort of joyous sequence. Mm -hmm. Journey as well, something similar. Okay, okay. But those joyous sequences always come out of like moments of maximum despair <laughs> for, the, for the contrast. Hmm. I might, I might, and I know like this is the old, this is the old staple. This is the old standby. And so I've been trying not to delve into this, but something akin to Stardew Valley where there is no timer. Uh, we can use Minecraft as an example as well. You know, there is no timer there. There is no death state, uh, mm. at least in uh, creative mode in Minecraft, but the exploring the joy as in as far as you get to do what you want your sandbox experience go at your own pace and do what you want and finding the joy within the everyday mundane stardew valley is the mr holland's opus of video games that's a good line <laughs> <laughs> there's the there's the trailer line thank you you're welcome and um, hmm. I don't know. I always think of joy as a very sort of uh, enriching experience, something that like fills your soul. Right, but right. How do you value? I think of more as a a sort of happy state of comfort. This is potato, potato. You know, joy, happy, comfort. Just you know, sitting on your sitting on your rocking chair on the porch mm -hmm. on a. Nice spring afternoon where it's not too hot and it's not too cold. Mm -hmm. You've got a, you know, a, got a nice tall drink in your hand. You're watching the kids play on the lawn, on the lawn with the dog. Wait, what is what is these things you're saying? If not joy, what? <laughs> I guess I've. Uh, never been well acquainted with joy in my life. <laughs> well, this is, and I guess this is my. Part of my part of my bigger if if we're going to zoom out a little bit, part of my bigger issue with this is I think that talking about grief and talking about sadness is also paradoxically easier. It's easier to be negative. Well, it's a universal experience, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is. But you, you want to talk about like um, slightly more complex emotions. I want to challenge us to explore what makes us happy. And I feel hmm. like that is not done enough because it's so much easier to point out something that makes us sad. <laughs> you know, like death, that makes everybody sad. And so I, well, I feel like I feel like the art house game using despair as a backdrop or grief uh, is almost a cop out. You know, I agree. I've always felt that there's something very lazy. Something feels very lazy about that sort of game. Mm -hmm. I've often like like uh, thrown up like those comedy bingo cards for that sort of game. Yes. Uh, yes, it's a game about a small child in a scary world. And yes, there's sad piano music in the background. <laughs> yes, there'll probably be a theme of surrounding grief. There'll probably be a dark forest at some point. The enemy will probably be the darkness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just fight smoke monsters that represent, I don't know, giving in to despair or something. Ex exactly. And so, like, that's... 
when when I started to research this, it's like, oh, you know, there there's plenty of games that like just make people happy from playing them. Like mm-hmm. playing Dark Souls three makes me happy, <laughs> uh, but it's not necessary not necessarily exploring happiness. You know, like that sort of thing. I'll tell you a game I wanted to bring up mm. that I mentioned to you before the record is the is a recent game that mm. I've been doing some playing of and thinking about called Cruelty Squad. Mm. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people will know of it. It's like got 2,000 reviews on Steam and an overwhelmingly positive rating. It's definitely struck a chord with a certain sector of the internet. Uh-huh. But if you look at the game, well... It looks like absolute trash. It looks like it was made as a joke. <laughs> it looks like it looks like a troll game. It's, the colors all clash. The text is barely readable. The interface is appalling. Oh, I'm I'm looking at a little gameplay footage right now. Yeah, it looks like a it looks like a Nintendo 64 game. And when you first play it, that's how you feel. You'll think, why the hell? As everyone saying, this is so great, right? And you'll and you'll probably give up. Mm-hmm. And then something. You won't know what, but it will make you go back. Okay. And I went and I went back to explore it further and play through it. And I genuinely think this is a game that expresses something that no other game does. It's violent and it's a game about assassinating targets, but it's it feels like a game that just doesn't care. It is a game the emotion that it embodies for me is ennui. Oh, it's a game where you kill things and nothing around you really cares. Nothing is really characterized. You're just sent after targets and you kill them. Mm-hmm. The world is sort of uh, dystopian, suburban hell seen through a filter of massive drugs. Uh-huh. And it just feels like I've been writing a review of it and it's like, and I came up with the line, it's like having a bad acid trip while already zoned out on weed. So you're just zoned out and staring and not and unwilling to do anything to stop it as reality collapses around you. All right. That's that that's new. <laughs> and then you start to realize the very fact that it looks like shit is itself an expression of ennui. It just has seems like it just completely has stopped caring. Sure. And so this kind of like, this kind of like nihilistic, you know, everything is nothing. I feel nothing. Kind of exactly. It's, it's nihilistic in every sense. Ooh. Ooh. Makes you think of, makes you think of Killer Seven, mm-hmm. but clinically depressed. Like I couldn't even be bothered to <laughs> lift in a hand to do the more energetic parts of Killer Seven. <laughs> That that is a difficult emotion to get across, especially in in an interactive medium like video games. That's yeah. ooh, very interesting. It reminds me of troll troll mods for first person shooters. <laughs> sure, and this is like something I've always that's always interested me. Mm-hmm. Like those mods they used to like someone made for Half Life, where all the characters are just replaced with memes yeah and like voice lines are replaced with like cussing with terrible mic quality and all the textures are replaced with memes or like pornography right like like original doom but every single texture is tim allen's face and every time you shoot the gun it's tim allen going which is a real mod 
Yeah, 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 I can believe it. There was a lot of shit like that. There was there was a thing for Half Life called Crack Life, which was like the the epitome of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I just think this is a really interesting form of expression. It's sort of like graffiti, but video games. It's a it's a expression of nihilistic frustration by you know an unheard voice mm-hmm. that's sort of on the edge of what society considers acceptable i think there's that's a really interesting form of expression mm-hmm. it expresses things you don't see expressed anywhere else because by necessity everything else goes through the system absolutely so it's it's a tapping into kind of that outsider art perspective where they they don't know the or they don't follow through with the constructs and so it's it's just raw emotion yeah yeah that's what i like about it and it's i just just i just find them really funny and i'm not sure why Hmm. just like firing a gun and hearing the wrong noise that just makes me laugh (laughs) i think that's great I think that's absolutely beautiful. I see in the chat, someone is saying, I wonder if there's any value to exploring these negative emotions. I feel like it's hard to relate unless you've been there, in which case it's not really needed. I, well, why does any, why do you explore any emotion through art? It's about exploring the human experience. Absolutely. Pain and pleasure, indivisible. <laughs> that's, that's literally all art is, is an expression of a thought or an idea through a given media uh and so yeah i suppose it doesn't necessarily matter if you've ever been through if you've ever been sad although i mean come on i i'd like to think we've all been sad at one point you gotta (laughs) hope so if you have i mean if you've never been sad in your whole life most people would probably think you'd had a little bit very empty existence Mm, absolutely and so and i and i guess that's that's really like I, I think I think this has been a, a wonderful discussion as far as these games that do delve into different emotions, and I love the fact that uh, and and I do I like outsider art. I I always play through like the tiny little horror games um, that tend to yeah. be you know a little bit uh, rough around the edges, but definitely yeah. have a very strong idea. A lot of those have that very same troll game sort of vibe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where there's something not quite right about it, but they are going hard. They're wearing their emotions on their sleeve, and I always enjoy that. Yes. In many ways, the most pure experience in an emotional art form. Emotionally pure, absolutely. Uh, technically, you know, needs a little refinement. <laughs> well, some might argue that, you know, being fully technically skilled might get in the way of that expression. Mm, I that's why a lot of that's why a lot of this was just mods on existing games. Yeah, because it's easy to just replace a few textures mm-hmm. and sound effects <laughs> for a laugh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, shall we go to super chats? Sure. Yeah, and I uh, guess just about time we did that. My my final button here is yeah something something in general I would like more is is games uh, you know kind of like that uh, wander song that that delve mm. into the positive aspects of our emotions and make us think more about that because I think sad sadness is easy. Do me a favor, have a go, at Cruelty Squad. <laughs> <laughs> And stick with it, because I guarantee at first you won't get what the hell is the appeal. Yeah. All right. But if you stick with it, maybe like look up a few things, because there's some like hidden things in there. Uh-huh. 
then you know see what sort of emotions you feel about it <laughs> i i have, have a tab open spend some time with it okay. i have a tab open i will play it <laughs> all right I'd be interested to hear your views mm, perhaps we'll talk about it next time all right super chat time get your super chats in now everyone let's talk about stuff that you want to talk about now Okay, uh, Donald Neverty gives five US dollars to say, Asura's Wrath deals with anger. It might not make you feel angry, but it's there. Asura's Wrath. Yeah, I know of it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that just that because the main character is very, very angry all the time? I don't know. I don't think I've like seen through the whole game. Mm. Well, let me click on it so I can... Oh, I see. Well, yeah, the the idea here is not like games that display an emotion. It's games that yeah. explore an emotion. And I think, as Yahtzee was saying, as far as the story of the first God of War is concerned, like that deals with the repercussions of Kratos's uncontrolled anger, right? And and so that's an exploration of angers. What's the consequences of it? Like, if your character is just angry and they start the game angry and they end the game angry, it's like, oh, that's not necessarily an exploration. What are the consequences of your yeah, actions? So there's, there's a lot of games where characters are just <laughs> unspecifically angry the whole time. Exactly. Like Gears of War springs to mind. Mm. Uh, the second Prince of Persia Sands of Time game. Just, scowl is not an emotion, Yahtzee. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Galacta Watkins gives 10 British pounds, great name, by the way, to say, hey, guys, long-time fan of your work, Yahtzee, still listen to the Drownouts. I feel emotional games have become a woke Oscar game category. Your thoughts on if this can be avoided in the current era? Well, this is what we were saying, of course, that a lot of these uh, games that usually end up winning the Game Awards for most emotional game the ones that you know go all in on sadness and grief often it feels uh easy yeah sadness and grief are cheap yeah just all you have to do is like kill someone sitting next year and bam all the grief you need right well and i like i don't want to i don't want to i don't want that to sound overtly glib because dealing with grief is a an emotionally tolling experience and so like there's nothing there's nothing inherently wrong with dealing with grief. I just feel like it's done so often, and so often yeah. it's done poorly. If that How can this be avoided? I think the way you avoid it is that you try to avoid making a broad experience. I mean, they make, these games about sadness are made to be broad explorations of sadness that everyone could feel. But I think what would make a more interesting game if you explore something a lot more personal to you, mm. like uh, Celeste explores anxiety from the perspective of an anxious person and uh because that's not quite as universal mm, mm-hmm. it's a, it's much more interesting take on its subject i like that but narrow it back narrow it a bit down to your own personal experience make the game that you know expresses your own feelings that's how you avoid things feeling a bit bland right don't just make a small child in a big scary world yeah, <laughs> I think that was that was one of my my favorite bits from the Spirit Fair documentary. Is yeah, I was about to bring up yeah, is the all of the developers talking about like their own personal experiences with you know deaths in the family and how they brought that into the characters to yeah, make it a personal game. 
I think they were saying all the characters are based, sort of based on someone the writer knew in real life. Right, like little bits, little bits of yeah. people they knew made it into their characters. And that that shows through. And I think that some games that just have a small child in a big, scary world, it doesn't feel personal, hmm. if that makes any sense. Exactly. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. You math DC gives 10... Bob Bees, <laughs> who says, a few bobs for a coffee for the Dungeon Master. I will thank you as soon as we've figured out what bobs are. How many Starbucks can it get me? Because we need... <laughs> Bob? Bob? Currency. Bob B- <laughs> Bob? I've, I assumed it was a British thing. That, that, that it's a new one for... Oh, it's a, it's a Bolivian Boliviano. Oh, okay. The official currency of Bolivia is the Boliviano. Absolutely. Uh, as as your dungeon master, I will take that as I need it. As we've now decided that uh, episode zero, which was our test episode for the Dungeons and Dragons show, uh, is now canon. So I have to completely rewrite the rest of, <laughs> yeah. of my that ideas. Wasn't the plan? That wasn't the plan? Was it? But now we're going to have to deal with the aftermath of the zombie apocalypse that we caused, which I love. I think that's hilarious. Uh, you know why? Because that's exploring the your repercussions. That's exploring the consequences of your actions. <laughs> Yes, we explore the emotion of guilt or lack of same. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. Yeah, Google got confused there because a bob is also an old word for a shilling right. in old English money. Right. Any any time you say like bits in bob, that's a British thing. You know, have you ever heard how, like, old British currency used to work? Mm-mm. If you watch, like, really old episodes of Monty Python, they talk about uh, units, like, the price of something being uh, £6, 4 and 12. Okay. Because you had pounds, and then you had shillings, and then you had pence. And a pound was something like 240 pence, and a shilling was, like, 5 pence. And then there was guineas, and then there was... It was all a big mess. So the the currency got decimalized at some point during Monty Python's run. So in later episodes, they start using proper money. But it's an interesting uh, insight into how reluctant the British like establishment can be to change something that feels like it came out straight out of medieval times. <laughs> that's that's always the problem is like the evolving economy, right? I know we're we're dealing with that in America still today about the with the penny. We have cents and we have this penny which costs more to produce than a penny is worth. <laughs> Australia ditched the penny and the and the tuppence bit yeah. and the tuppenny bit. Now, uh, the smallest unit currency is five cents. And if your transaction doesn't come to something divisible by five cents, it just gets rounded. Boop. Round up, round down, right? Easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it works fine. And no one will care, but we still don't do anything about it. It's crazy. Well, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense in American politics. <laughs> Next super chat. Okay, moving hastily on. Quetzalcoatl Ehecatl gives, oh, for God's sakes, 20 PLNs. Uh, oh, which, we, we know that one. Oh, do P- we? P- uh, PLNs is a... It's, a... it's a Polish Zloty. Oh, yeah. I think we knew that. <laughs> it's the, who says, Jack, you should get into drag with Trixie Mattel. 
I didn't understand I think that we, reference. I, I don't know who Trixie Mattel is, but we, if we, if my fingernails are any uh, are any uh, indication, I would be pretty. No hair, no facial hair. You could certainly drag up what? with ease, right? Like wigs, like a little double sided tape that'll stick right there. Very, very pretty. I mean, you've you've done clowning. Mm-hmm. That's a logical <laughs> step. Right. I just don't know if I'd be able to walk in heels. I'm not that coordinated. So hopefully if I can okay. do it without the heels, then we're talking. How's your, how's your Im, like, imitation lady voice? Uh, I, I, I'm sure I could, you know, if I could go Southern Bell, we could go real high. Hmm. This, is, this is stirring odd feelings in me. <laughs> <clears throat> Add Southern Bell character to D&D campaign. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> okay next super chat from someone whose name is in cyrillic russian that i don't know how to read mm-hmm. gives 300 rubles to say good evening seeing as you and jack are now pals and you currently live in america would yahtzee consider coming to rlm headquarters as a guest star just imagine best of the worst uber Bowl movies now we've been over this okay ready for the short version yeah. I don't make decisions on who comes on Best of the Worst. I don't even make decisions on when I come on Best of the Worst. Two, Yahtzee's not necessarily a movie guy, so he feels like his conversations would be incredibly lacking. Three, Yahtzee would be so starstruck by being in the same room as me, personally, no one else, that he wouldn't be able to say anything. <sighs> <coughs> there you go. Great. Also, just because we both live in America doesn't doesn't count for much. Because, you know... <laughs> Me living in California and Jack living in Wisconsin mm-hmm. is the equivalent of me being in Britain and Jack being in Russia. Very like just in just in terms of distance. That's it's like a five hour airplane ride. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of the big problems in America is that it's so like uh, it's so large and there's so much empty space between the communities. There's no real sense of togetherness. That's true. That's true. Like even even our our states are ridiculously big. Like you know, me yeah. just being on the south side of Wisconsin, like the north end of Wisconsin is an incredible is an incredible distance away. I mean, there are some parts of the U.S. that feel like parts of the third world at this point. Mm. But I'm in California, which is probably still one of the more progressive places you'll live. You can live in the world right now. Very possibly. Depending on the area of California, I'm sure. (laughs) Northern California. Uh, Just need to refresh the page. Hang on. Absolutely. Refresh away. Uh, Hold on. While while you write that, I'm going to mute myself. Give me one moment. Okay. Oh, shit. Um, Damn it. I can't carry this by myself. How how are we all doing, everyone? Um, uh, uh, bloke goes to the lawyer and says, uh, uh, how much do you charge? And the lawyer says, $5,000 for three questions. And the bloke goes, isn't that a bit exorbitant? And the lawyer goes, yes, what's your third question? Are you back yet? I did it. I came back. Oh, I was about to revert to bringing toffee out. <laughs> oh, oh well, you did it anyway, so that's great. Okay, I'm back. What's okay. our next super chat? 
Next super chat comes from that guy you know, mm. who gives five US dollars to say, Yahtzee, have you played any of the Disgaea games and are you going to review Disgaea 6? No and no. Thanks for the money, that guy you know. <laughs> Ching. Easy peasy. Uh, James Matchett gives five US dollars to say, as someone who has strongly dealt with depression, Disco Elysium really struck a chord with me. What game really struck an emotional chord with you? Hmm. Well, my answer would probably be Cruelty Squad from most recent games. As I said, once I discovered it was an expression of bleakness, ennui, and existential horror. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's life. <laughs> or were they asking you what your favorite part of Disco Elysium is? Uh, no, they were, asking, they were asking what game particularly struck a chord with you. Oh. So you might, not, might not necessarily have struck a chord with everyone. Oh, sure. Uh, that might not have necessarily struck a chord with everyone. That, uh, you know, I... That's, a, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know if I can think of my hipster answer. My, my very easy answer is the first time playing through Shadow of the Colossus. I remember mm. uh, this shouldn't be a spoiler as it's an old game, but, you know, you get to the end and you get to the uh, mandatory uh, get, you know, sucked up by the darkness ending, right? Mm. And at that moment in Shadow of the Colossus, uh, you can attempt to run away. And actually you can run away for as long as you want you can never leave but you can keep rolling and trying to run and you can do a very good job of not getting gobbled up it's it's completely futile um but that sequence i i kept running for way longer than i probably should have even way after i realized that running away was pointless uh, because i was just very emotionally invested uh and so that sequence at the end in particular uh hit me very hard Hmm. And of course, Disco Elysium itself is uh, another game that explores emotion in a very unconventional way. Hmm. What do you think would be the, like the core emotion in that game? Disco Elysium. I haven't played it. It's hard to say. <laughs> it's a game about you know experiencing a complete loss of self and rebuilding yourself from the ground up. Ooh. Okay. So then the emotional core of that would be is is would would that be talking about like delving into ego, delving into self uh self pride? I guess it's not so much emotional, is it? More sort of existential. Hmm. It explores identity. Like is that is that maybe like uh uh, tangential like a side that's that's brushed up against emotions is like self-worth that sort of thing yeah i guess hmm. someone mentioned self-loathing in the chat yeah 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 right then uh mick spad gives five us dollars to ask do you think that a game that explores emotions is more powerful than games like half-life where it's up to the player to consider their own emotions Uh, weird example there but uh yeah if a game specifically explores something like as i say your celeste mm-hmm. that comes from a very personal sort of place but it feels like then yeah that's more powerful because it's like a conversation with the author isn't it and the the author's singular emotions and how you could relate to them absolutely i think you know there's not necessarily an emotional core to skyrim 
<laughs> even if you're playing as a character, right? Mm. You just kind of you go on your adventure. There, there's there's not necessarily anything that you discover about yourself in a game like that. Well, no, because you're a <laughs> blank slate, aren't you? <laughs> right, right. So that's uh, that's kind of the the. That's the the difference between like AAA and arty farty that we're dealing with here, mm. which is uh, you know a, a character arc, a story arc, an an emotional arc over a story arc, as I guess. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Shadow Rundus gives five US dollars to ask: Is aroused an emotion? Bunch of games trying to do that on Steam these days. Well, I suppose we could add it to my list of uh, emotions that provoke physical reactions. So that was laughter, uh, fear, mm. sadness, and horn. <laughs> Getting the horn on. Which, you know, we all need in certain times in our lives. A game that gives us the horn, or possibly just a video that gives us the horn. So we can express our emotions in a nice enclosed dark room, hopefully into a tissue. So, but here's the real question, Yats. Is there a game that explores the horn or just gives you the horn? Like we talked about with God of War (laughs) and exploring Uh, anger versus just is anger. I guess people don't really want to explore the horn. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose you could say Doki Doki Literature Club sort of leads you along for a while Mm -hmm. and then kicks you in the balls. Like, is there a game about crafting the horn and that might you know have a different experience <laughs> oh some people mentioned catherine mm-hmm. which might be an example it's a that's a game about someone being brought down by their horniness Ooh, okay in many ways mm-hmm. and trying to come to terms with their own horn in fact the main the main character literally has horns oh. in a sort of direct Visual metaphor. Very nice. I like it. <laughs> Some people mentioning Leisure Suit Larry. Ooh, I said Leisure there. I'm becoming acclimatized to the US. Oh, not, no more leisure for you. Leisure Suit Larry. I always thought Leisure Suit Larry scanned better. Leisure Suit Larry. I, I've only known it as Leisure, so I cannot be with you there. Leisure Suit Larry. I think that, I think the. The the hard E has a better flow. Leisure suit Larry. Leisure suit Larry is just all flat. Leisure suit Larry. I think leisure suit Larry would you could work it better into iambic pentameter. The leisure suit Larry. Oh, you've been called a yank. You've been called a yank, or maybe they're still talking about horn games. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Give it a yank. See what comes out. <laughs> um, Rajan Singh gives 100 somethings. Mm. Sec Krona says here. Just wanted to say thanks for the great podcast and review over the years. Also, interestingly, Celeste is, according to the developer, a trans narrative, but still holds up without knowing that. Well, I guess it does, because I didn't know that. There you go. There you go. Uh, uh, you know, in in hindsight, as was the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> now you mention it. <laughs> like, way more obvious in hindsight now. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. It's almost like trans experience isn't necessarily 
only only something you can experience if you're trans. Mm, exactly. It's almost like there's a almost like there's a universality to the uh, core emotions. Ooh, interesting. Very interesting. Almost like they're expressing themselves, and we can all take a little yes. bit of it and learn a little bit about empathy. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's almost mm. like you know, transsexuals are fucking human beings. What? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> ab, um. Uh, almost this one there mm. Hamilton Lucas Nsimbi mm-hmm. gives 50 czars to ask how does one write comedy what make writing fun well if you're asking how to write jokes well there's the starting point is you say something that causes your audience to make an assumption and then you say another thing that proves their assumption false that's, that's the work a day model juxtaposition that's the start. That's it. Like when you say an apple a day keeps the doctor away, especially if thrown with enough force. What? See, you made an assumption. <laughs> you thought you thought I was talking about eating, eating apples. apples. No, I turned it around. It turns out I was talking about throwing them. But you were talking about violence. That's not e- that's not healthy. Ah, yes. oh, that's you've you've subverted my expectations. One morning I woke up in a complete mess. I was there was vomit all down my front. Mm. I. Was, I got up, stumbled naked down the hall, and then I got off the bus. See, you <laughs> thought I was at home. You I thought I was in my bedroom going to the your... bathroom. I was on a bus the whole see. time. But, like, when I wake up, it's in my bed. So that's definitely where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> your expectations were confounded, and from thence the humor arose. <laughs> Uh, I like the dry explanation. It's very funny. Um, <laughs> uh, right. Uh, and by the way, what makes writing fun? If you don't find writing fun, it's very possible you don't like writing. Yeah. So you, if you, and uh, you, if you want to learn how to write comedy, just read a whole lot of comedy and absorb it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the start. Most people find writing fun first and then keep writing. And so, like, I don't know if there's any trick to making writing more fun. No. Sorry to say. Maybe just find the thing you do find fun and do that. Oh, boom. You might even be able to monetize it. Hey. You can monetize everything else in this grim capitalistic future. Welcome to daily hobby monetization. You don't get free time anymore. Everything's monetized. If not, just make weird troll mods for Half-Life. I'm down with that, too. And replace all the textures with porn. Abdul Rahman Alawadi gives five US dollars to say, are there any games that instead of exploring a specific emotion, it lets you interpret the themes? Something abstract and surreal, like a Lynch movie. Well, sure, there's plenty of abstract and surreal games in the world. Mm -hmm. I think of Gree, for some reason. (laughs) Gree. Gree. Whatever you say. However you say it, that's certainly highly interpretive. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of that. And while and, you know, this makes me lose a lot of my film nerd cred, while I respect David Lynch as a filmmaker, he's not necessarily my style because I do like it when an artist expresses a specific emotion uh, or theme. And so not necessarily my cup of tea when they leave it up to interpretation, because that also is the work of a lazy writer. Oh, it's your own interpretation. What happened? Yeah. Well, uh, that was the last Super Chat. Well, then. (laughs) I guess we'll wrap this up. I hate to leave it on the down note. 
I was sort of expecting another one to come in while we were reading it, but uh, I guess not. Well, well, thanks for all the super chats we did get. Absolutely. As, al- as always, it helps support the site. It helps us keep doing the things we love. Uh, I was Yahtzee Crowshaw. And I was Jack Packard. Thanks Remember for to, watching or listening. Yes. Thanks for watching or listening. Remember to watch the premiere for our D&D series, oh. Adventure is Nigh. That's on YouTube now. That's right. uh, we have got a lot of good feedback from that. Everyone seems to enjoy the adventure of us pissing about with an unfeasibly strong cat. <laughs> She's so strong. <laughs> yeah. Real breakout character there, I think. Absolutely. Everyone loves the cat, uh, which really we should not be surprised. Uh, we we shouldn't be surprised by that. So, no, that's great. Thanks, everyone. Uh, our our Twitter handles are below our faces. I'm at Harlack. I'm at Yati Crochel. I'll be back tomorrow with Zero Punctuation and the post-ZP stream. In the meantime, watch that Spirit Spiritfarer documentary. It's really good. It's very good. And also play Spirit Spiritfarer if you haven't. It's very good. Yeah. Let's start with that. Oh, there you go. Start with playing Spiritfarer and then watch the documentary. You know, sometimes like you'll watch the documentary and think to yourself, oh, I should really play this game. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you watch a movie, the first thing you do is go and read the IMDb trivia. You wouldn't. They wouldn't really... <laughs> That would lose something if you did it the other way around. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. All right. Well, bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.